BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey, everybody, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Today on The Breakdown, with the U.S. Supreme Court appearing ready to further restrict access to abortions and possibly even overturn Roe v. Wade altogether, we're going to sit down with Jody Hicks. She's president and CEO of Planned Parenthood of California. We'll talk to her about what comes next. Yeah, abortion is, of course, legal in California, and nothing the Supreme Court does will change that. But a group of women's health organizations is preparing recommendations on what the state can or should do to help women from other states where abortion is unavailable may want to come here to get an abortion. We'll talk with Jody Hicks about that, as well as the political ramifications of all this and much more. But first, we want to bring in our own Katie Orr, who has been reporting on this all week, the history of abortion rights and access in California. Hey, Katie. Hi, guys. So I want to begin just by, you focused in one of your stories about access for especially low-income women and people in rural, women in rural parts of California. Tell us, you know, how hard was it to report that story in terms of finding folks to talk with you in some of those places? You know, it was a challenge. Of course, uh, in in our line of work, we're always looking for people, you know, to to represent the story. We want to hear from someone who's gone through the experience. And as we all know, abortion is a sensitive topic, even in a place like California, where it's widely accepted. Um, so it, it was it was a challenge finding someone who had gone through uh, an abortion. And in the end, I, I was able to, but it was actually a coincidence. One of the women I was speaking to at the clinic I visited had had an abortion and was willing to talk about it uh, and was happy to talk about it. And I think that's um, one of the reasons she was is because she wants to try and erase the stigma around an abortion. Uh, it's a medical procedure. She had to have one and she wants people to y- y- accept it more. But it was a challenge. Uh, even just being able to visit a clinic was a challenge. And I think that that um, reflects the fraught nature that surrounds abortion, again, even here in California. Yeah, I mean, and Katie, you went to some of these rural areas where, you know, I mean, California is presented as a very blue state, but we know that there's a lot of disparities and differences between regions. Uh, What was your sense about the sort of politics and culture of this in some of these places that might have, you know, more voters, for example, opposed to abortion rights? Well, it... In a lot of my reporting between rural California and, you know, the coastal cities, you just can't stress enough how different it is. It's almost as if it is a different state. I mean, of course, 
it's not. We're all governed by the same laws and all of that. But just the 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 attitudes, the ways of life are different. Um, I thought one of the things that really highlighted that was when I was at the clinic I visited in Chico. Uh, the executive director of the organization told me they have not had a provider a local provider in in their entire history and they've been around oh. since the 70s mm. and that's because it's it's too hard for providers to provide those abortions and live in their communities mm. because it's such um a frowned upon thing mm. in that part of the state well and how much of that is i mean obviously that's sort of political and personal points of view but you know healthcare access in a lot of those counties in general is also you know not the best because uh, there aren't a lot of community clinics and so on so w- when you're reporting on the difficulty of finding a provider in places like that how much of it is just lack of resources i mean that is also a good point uh a lot of uh, people in these regions have to drive for hundreds of miles to get to the clinic that they need for any kind of health care. Uh, if you are in a place like Chico or Redding or Grass Valley, where this particular uh, clinic have, have has their branches, and for instance, you might need uh, your your abortion is more complicated than than another might be. You might have to travel to Sacramento um, to receive care and that takes time it takes money it takes a good you know form of transportation uh a lot of people the majority of people who receive abortions uh have children already so they have to find someone to watch their kids uh so definitely the rural nature of of uh that situation is a factor as well in in addition to just the social stigma um, Katie, we'd love for you to give us just a very quick history lesson as we prepare to talk to Jody Hicks about about abortion rights in California. I mean, this is something that partly came out of a group of physicians in San Francisco prior to uh, the 1967 law that former Governor Ronald Reagan signed, sort of bringing. Uh, well, you explain it. Right. Yeah. Um, there was, a, and I should mention that uh, I was informed by this by Dr. Carol Joffe of uh, UCSF, uh, who is a, a historian of sorts in this in this area. Um, and she was mentioning that in San Francisco, there was a group of doctors called the San Francisco Nine. And at, the, at that time, before Reagan signed the law that expanded abortion access in California, uh, you could only give abortions if the woman's life was in danger. Um, And then German measles, rubella, uh, appeared on the scene. And doctors began noticing that women who were infected with this disease while they were pregnant ended up having babies with severe birth defects. And so these doctors began performing abortions on these women uh, because they, you know, they knew the results, uh, uh, how the babies would be born. And they thought that this would be, um, it could be harmful to the woman as well. And when a a member of the California Medical Board found out, he threatened to take their licenses, but they actually went, for the time, I guess, viral, and (laughs) it really um, uh, got a lot of support behind them and ended up, you know, it it, it galvanized the nation and saying, like, we need more rules around this because it is not clear uh, what what is going on and, and when we are allowed to perform abortions. And, you know, women were getting them regardless, even if the doctors weren't giving them. Yeah. Well, and later when uh, Reagan ran for president, he said he regretted signing that law, but it really did have a pretty big impact and probably was maybe copied in other states, I would guess. 
Right. It really did. It, it let women get abortions for more than just, you know, their um, the, if their life was threatened. Uh, an interesting side effect of that law, though, was that they they put in a mental health exemption, but you had to basically be proven to be suicidal. So women who had the means would end up paying uh, doctors to testify that they were suicidal so that they could get their abortions. And I, you know, that is particularly interesting because again, it demonstrates how women with means um, can, uh, you know, spend the money they need to, to get the care they need. Whereas women who don't have the money can't and are stuck still, you know, taking matters into their own hands. Sort of feels like deja vu all over again. Back to the future. Um, all right, Kitty, before we let you go, there is a group called the Future of Abortion Council here in California. Tell us what they are and how this case is sort of informing their work, what you expect to see from them. Yeah, this is a council that was convened by Governor Gavin Newsom, and it's made up of different um, uh, advocacy organizations uh, who support abortion. And it's really looking at what are some of the pain points California has uh, when it comes to ensuring access to abortion for people in the state as well as out of the state. Um, For instance, those uh, challenges I mentioned around rural abortion are something they're looking at. Also, providers. California lets a wider variety of providers uh, perform abortions. However, uh, not all of those providers have access to the training they need to be able to do that. So that's, you know, for instance, something that they're considering. Um, they'll they'll look at those issues and they expect to present a list of recommendations on how the state should proceed uh, later this month. All right. That is KQED's Katie Orr, of course. And you can check out, by the way, all of her reporting on this issue at kqed.org. Katie Orr, thank you so much, as always. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a short break right now, and when we return, we'll be joined by Jody Hicks. She's president and CEO of Planned Parenthood in California. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. 
And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. And our guest today is Jody Hicks. For years, she's been an influential advocate for women and health access in Sacramento. She's currently the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood of California, where, as you can imagine, she is very much at the center of the legal and political debate over the U.S. Supreme Court, potentially striking down Roe v. Wade and the right to an abortion. Jody Hicks, welcome to Political Breakdown. Hi, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, well, let's begin with these oral arguments that we heard this week. Um, you know, what what struck you? It did seem that there are five votes to either strike down Roe v. Wade altogether or at least weaken it even further. What what uh, what you know, what struck you? So I think you know, as much as I shouldn't have been shocked, I think I was uh, shocked like like everyone at sort of um the tenor of the conversation and despite the fact that this is the law of the land it has been for 50 years despite the fact that all of the arguments that they brought forth they did 30 years ago with casey um it was very clear that we know that the only reason they they took that case and the only reason that the states designed those laws that way is because the makeup of the court is new and it seemed um, very clear that they are poised to do away with precedent anyway and, and take away a right that is really fundamental for people on their health care decisions, the very core decisions on, on the makeup of their future, we, despite 50 years of data on the economic impact of what happens when there's barriers to any type of health care, but certainly something as essential as abortion. Um, it seems like, you know, they're, they were, <laughs> they understood their assignment. <laughs> well, let me ask you, justices. though, on that, Jody. like, I think to your point, even folks who might not be as sort of personally involved in the, the stake of this, but constitutional scholars um, expected perhaps that this would be, uh, I mean, we don't know what this decision is yet, but based on the oral arguments, there's sure. sort of two paths, right? If if a majority does want to either do, you know, gut row entirely or sort of slowly hollow it out over the course of several cases. I mean, does that mm-hmm. matter to you and and the women that you're working on behalf of? Like, is 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 that a distinction without a difference, um, or does it matter politically? Maybe. I mean, I think it matters politically on, on if they try and if there's an argument that, that people are trying to make that they didn't ban abortion, they're just mm-hmm. restricting in some way that, that is the same. It's, um, you know, for people trying to get services, I, I would say for somebody who's trying to get a health care service and they find themselves in a place where they, they can't get that service within the borders of the state that they call home, I don't see how they care in what way that law is crafted. Um, And, and, you know, at the, at the core of what we do, it's trying to ensure that, that patients get those services. You know, the reality, of course, as you know, is that in a lot of these states, it's nearly impossible to get an abortion now for the lack of providers, among other things. So if, Let's just say right. they do go all the way and strike down Roe v. Wade. What happens in the roughly, you know, 25 or so states that could, you know, with Republican governors and legislatures, uh, you know, really just go all the way and ban abortion? What happens? I mean, I think we're, we're going to see that 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 impact in a way that um, I don't I don't know. And I don't want to say we're not prepared for it, because as, as you talked about, we 
in California, we put together a council for that very reason to, to, to prepare for the impact of, of what we see. But, um, you know, we're talking about half the country. We're talking about 36 million women of reproductive age that will find themselves not able to get a service within their state. And, and the part that strikes me after listening to everything yesterday is, you know, we're asked a lot. We've been working these last three months with the council on how we properly prepare for this influx of, of patients as we expect to see it. Um, what I think I'm most afraid is if we don't see that influx of patients, because really the, the impact is the solution right now, which is the, the states that can become um, access points should be seeing an influx of patients. And if they aren't, it is what we, you know, which is our greatest fear is that people without means, people that are most vulnerable, just can't access. Um, travel and child care and all of the practical practical support they would need to to try and get a, a service that's time sensitive that is um, essential and you know it it'll we know it will change the trajectory of of their life and their future and so um, I think that's what scares me the most is if we don't see that yeah of patients you know two of the trump appointees on the court amy coney barrett and 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 justice uh, brett kavanaugh talked uh had different sort of approaches and one of the things kavanaugh said was that the court should be neutral um it strikes me and i'm not a constitutional scholar or lawyer but that, that it's, it's a little late for that right <laughs> i mean the court's already waded into this is what do you read that as and and is there i mean is there a situation, is that just a politic way of saying we should end Roe, but act as if we're not doing that? Or I, I don't, I, I'm a little confused about what that could look like in practice. I think they're trying to make a case that this is a, you know, it's a political issue. It really should be left to the people. But, but it, it's obviously moving away from the core of what a fundamental right is, which you have the right to liberty, the right to a decision that, that affects your health outcomes and the outcomes of your future. Um, and that isn't left to um, a state or legislature or, and it's certainly not something that the court should be neutral about. Um, and then, you know, the arguments for and against are, are not really different than they were 50 years ago. There are people that believe a certain way and, and believe another way. And, you know, for us and all of our rights, I don't think we ever believe that they should be left up to the whim of extreme politicians. Yeah. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. And our guest today is Jody Hicks. She's the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood in California. And we're talking with her, of course, about the U.S. Supreme Court now considering a case, a couple cases actually, that could well restrict or even eliminate abortion access in some states across the nation. You know, a minute ago, Jody, you said if, uh, you know, Roe as expected is either struck down or gutted further, you said that it would be troubling if there weren't uh, an increase in women coming to states like California. Do you have any concerns about what, anything but the politics or anything else uh, of the, you know, of California becoming essentially a hub for abortions? Well, I don't have concerns politically. I, I have concerns. It's what's keeping all of us up at night right now is to, um, to, to know a pathway that, that we can treat patients 
in California, wherever they call home. And I think, um, you know, it, it, it troubles me. I, I was talking with my colleague in Texas and, the, you know, they hear the stories every day. And you're talking about young people who have never, never traveled outside of Texas before. And they find themselves needing to make a very personal um, health care decision, navigate a public health care system that's hostile to them in trying to find the service and then and then navigate all of the the travel and everything around that and so you know the the whole the whole thing is troubling in the states that that want to ban abortion by the way they also are generally the worst at, at what other investments they make in terms of of health care and and women's health in particular um you know, we just had a debate about uh, whether or not we'll do, you know, family leave and, and invest and pay for things like that and child care. So, I mean, we're talking about the, the impact that, that if you're forced and the state takes control over the decisions that you make if you're a pregnant person and you're forced to give birth, it, it's not as if there's wraparound services that, you know, we're willing to invest in for those either. So, I mean, I think the impact will be immediate and I think it, we'll see health outcomes. We'll see an economic impact. Um, but I also think that we'll see a change in and a reaction in um, people, you know, having sort of a spotlight on that the access issue that's been in place for a while. I, I know you talked about abortion stigma. Um, I like to think that that, that is changing as well. Um, people will be more abortion positive and we won't think of it as this sort of stigma that's also a healthcare stigma, really. We, we have it as a side thing that we don't guarantee coverage for and insurance may or may not cover it. And we don't treat it like a, a, a pregnancy service as anything else. So my hope is that while this is going to be dark, um, a dark time for people, that, that there also be a spotlight and people are, are going to make changes. I wonder how you think about talking about this is- issue, Jody, to people who may, you know, n- not be completely anti-abortion, but do have qualms with it, right? This is a tough issue. Nobody's excited about abortions. And you, before, you know, heading Planned Parenthood, were a lobbyist. You worked on reproductive rights issues. Like, how do you have those conversations and approach this with people who are deeply uncomfortable with the idea of abortion? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that I've perfected it because I'm I'm a product of my generation, too. And so I think I went through the 90s where we, you know, we used words like choice and right to choose and we didn't talk about abortion in the same way that we know we should be and we are doing now um i I will tell you and i and i say this my my 12 year old will talk about abortion with in a in a positive manner and very matter of fact and the first time they did that it was a little jarring for me because it, it wasn't something that i had honestly had a conversation with them about, it was just sort of a, with amongst friends, the importance of, of abortion. And so I, I do think that when you have the conversation, um, you know, we know the vast majority of people do not want Roe to be overturned. They do not want abortion to become um, illegal or even so hard to get that someone is forced to give birth. 
And I, and I think as we talk about it in those terms more, that this is something, you know, that it, that it, 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 if taken away, it changes really the trajectory for, for people and, and their futures and their lives. I, I do think it becomes different for mm-hmm. people. I think when it's theoretical, right. it's, it's, it's much more of that debate, but when it's at our doorstep as it is right now, I think people understand that it is an essential part of healthcare. When we talk about California, of course, as Marisa said a moment ago, we are a very liberal state, at least you know when it comes to the legislature and voting statewide. But when you think ahead to 2022 and the likelihood of Roe v. Wade being struck down or gutted, what do you th- what do you see as the what should be put on the agenda for the legislature um, as you think about that in terms of funding, in terms of uh, legislation and so on? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's investments. And, and that's sort of what we're delineating with these um, list of recommendations is, is where do we need to invest resources? Um, how do we really reimagine this, this space? And, and it's, it's been an interesting quick three months and really um, sort of trying to change how we normally, um, you know, we, we, we've been hiring and, and training abortion navigators at, at Planned Parenthood because that's really going to be essential. What, what does that mean? Um, it, it, so it means it's almost if you think about it conceptually on when you're trying to find a provider for your health care, um, normally you punch in, you know, you have a whatever your health insurance plan is or however you're looking for it, you punch in a zip code and it'll bring up all of the providers in your area. If you sort of flip that around and you're a patient in Texas, you're not going to know what zip code you want to go to. You're going to, it's just an open, where do I go? Who, who, what, where is there an availability? What is the best place to go and how do I get there? And so what we found, especially just with the one state is people would call and need to know, like, you know, where they should come in if they come to LA as their availability Um, how do they get there they don't know the airport it's all of those things and so now you know we're going to have to invest in a way that that's sort of flipping that script a little bit in in how we help patients navigate not just a regular health system but um, a specific and protected service that um, they're going to need all all of kinds of wraparound support so and in workforce issues i mean there's just a lot of investments that need to be made if if we're if we're putting value to the proclamation that the governor did which is california's reproductive freedom state i want to ask i mean you kind of alluded to the potential for this to quite frankly, change the politics if, if Roe is overturned. And obviously here in California, again, it's a different than sort of nationally. But I wonder what you when you look ahead, I mean, to the midterms and what's happening, like how you think this could really impact the political debate next year. Yeah, I mean, that decision is going to come in the summer and the midterms will be a few months after. And so what we are seeing, and, and, and I think some of this played out even in the, the recall um, election, is what we are seeing is when you, when you talk about and people have at their doorstep this real threat of a fundamental right being taken away or 
you know, in California, there wasn't necessarily a, a danger of losing a constitutional protection that we have in the state, but there's certainly ways as we've seen in other states that you can put up real barriers where people, you know, their rights don't matter because they can't get the care. And so I think you put that in front of them and people are willing to, to fight and act and, and, and do things to, to prevent that from, from happening or from spreading. And I, you know, what we have found is if you talk about, abortion or if you don't talk about it if we just ask the open-ended question what's on your mind texas is on people's minds hmm. people are not happy with these decisions yeah well you know all of us bring to our lives and our work uh our backgrounds where we came from and so on you grew up i think in sort of rural calusa county uh graduated from high school there um, yeah about an hour or so north of sacramento <laughs> home now to jerry brown um, what, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how do you think that shaped the way you think about all this? I mean, I, I definitely, um, as I said, product of my generation, certainly a product of where I grew up, where, you know, I think Jerry Brown and I might be the only Democrats that came out of Cusa <laughs> County, but <laughs> even still. Well, he came out of San Francisco. Um, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So you might be the only one. <laughs> he ended up there. Yeah, he went to Calusa. <laughs> yeah, which is even more weird. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up, um, even though I was probably thought of as more liberal than, than the, the rest of my folks, I, we, I didn't grow up talking about abortion. I certainly grew up, uh, during the times when there was rules being in place and, and all of the things of the nineties, but, um, was still sort of that soft, um, speak about it. And, and it's, it's, um, it has affected how I talked about it for a long time versus how I will talk about it now. And it's been an interesting even journey for me to watch again with my kids and how they, you know, their natural evolution, if you don't put those, those stigmas in place for them, you know, how much they are much more positive, much more logical, you know, talk about healthcare in a way that's different. Um, But but it, it affects even when I go back to Calusa. Yeah, I'm sure it does. We have to leave it there. Jody Hicks, president of Planned Parenthood in California. Thank you so much uh, on a very busy week for joining us. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Political Breakdown, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at MLagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott Schaefer. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, 
And I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.